Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Insurance Asia podcast. I'm your host, Scott Pugh. This week we've got Magdalena Svetkovic, or Maggie as she's more well known in, in Hong Kong and across the Asia region. Um, she's a, a pro Spartan athlete, uh, but, but she's got a, a, an amazing story of transformation across all endurance sports really like starting from trail running uh, moving into um, like doing a bit of adventure racing triathlons Ironman and has kind of found her home in uh, in obstacle course racing and uh, and Spartan um, Maggie and I caught up in Singapore uh, at the end of April she was down for the Spartan sprint race here and she secured a, a podium spot finishing third on that on that day and uh, putting in a, a really great performance um, and since then she's been on an absolute tear up she's been at, she's been killing it um, following week she was in the Philippines another podium and third spot and then the last two races in uh, in Japan and uh, and Hong Kong she um, she finished uh, finished first getting the the gold triangle, the gold medal, and um, in, in both of those races, so she is in f- like fine form right now. Um, also mixed in with that, she did a, a run and kayak race with her uh, in a mixed team with her, with her other half, Chris, finishing uh, finishing top spot as a mixed couple, and I think they finished third overall. They're just uh, impressive, impressive athletes. This is a great story. Like, uh, really, uh, really enjoyed um, enjoyed this discussion, and I'm sure you'll be able to pick up a lot of uh, a lot of tidbits for uh, for your training, whatever um, endurance sports that that you do. And uh, yeah, so so enjoy, um, Maggie. Hey Maggie, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Hey Scott, how are you doing? I'm very good. Good to see you in Singapore as a Hong Kong resident coming down for uh, for the Spartan race. Thank it's, you so uh, much for having me. Yeah, and no, it's uh, I've just uh, we've just come back from the from the Spartan race where you smashed it once again, getting on the podium. I'm trying to think like you've been doing how long have you been doing Spartan for now? It's been yes, I got into it in 2016, um, and been, yeah, so ever since. So it's been three years that you've yeah, been doing yeah. it. Yeah. So we originally met in Hong Kong, probably around 2010 or so. And uh, I'm trying to think the first race we did together. It was uh, it was Outward Bound. It I was think. Outward Bound that we yeah. did together when, in a team of four. Were you part of Project X? I was. I did join the rock climbing. The a rock few climbing times. group. This I think that's how I first. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few people <laughs> that I've met through that through yeah. that group originally. But yeah, we ran uh, we ran Outward Bound, and I think with the first year we ran it, we we won that first year, didn't we? But um, it wasn't. It's never really that competitive a race, <laughs> is it? 
Um, but yeah, we've also we did uh, the Trans Lantau together as the well. 50K. The fifty k, the fifty k as a as a team yeah. back in uh, that must have been about two thousand and eleven or so. Uh, I would something guess. around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that was fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, since then you're um, you're like a legit pro athlete now aren't you well you can pretty much say you're a professional athlete you're certainly a sponsored athlete a professional athlete with a full-time job with a full-time job yeah yeah. you've got two professions you're double hatting yeah yeah exactly um, but yeah like so pleased to have you uh, have you come on the the podcast i think that you've got like a really inspirational transformational story for um for a lot of people and uh, and also the kind of diversity of sports that you've uh, that you've done over the last 10 years um but yeah like interested to hear your like your your initially your background so yeah where you're from what what um what brings uh what brings Maggie sitting here today? <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, born and raised in Switzerland, um, where I, I actually didn't do much sports before I came to Hong Kong. I came to Hong Kong a la- around 11 years ago. Uh, basically, all we did is snowboarding, um, but that's uh, pretty much it. And then only when I came to Hong Kong, I discovered the Hong Kong trails. Uh, somebody took me on a hike. And then... So living in Switzerland, whereabouts in Switzerland are you from? Zurich. From Zurich, okay. Yeah. Which is like literally stone's throw from the, uh, from the Alps, right? So, but you wouldn't be up there in the summer, uh, hiking uh, or trail running? Or? No, not really. No. no, I didn't really. Snowboarding is the only sport it's did when I was living in Switzerland. People always think, oh, you must have hiked a lot. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's only something I got into it when I came to Hong Kong. And uh, I remember Sorry, what my year did you come to Hong Kong? Two- 2008. Okay. Yeah. Yes. My first hike was, you know, that section around Sunset Peak. And I loved it. And there were people, and I suffered. Like, I didn't hike before. And then there were people in the group. They were just, like, easily running up the steps. And so I asked them, I'm like, how come I'm dying and you're running up the steps? And they said, oh... We are trail runners. We are not hikers. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you run this? And they were like, of course. Were, were you coming from the Tung Chung way going straight up Muibo. sunset? Came from Mui Wo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and so I took a note to myself. I'm like, hmm, trail running. And then I just went by myself and I started running the trails. And then eventually um, I joined the Hong Kong trail running meetup. That was in 2009. They had five or six members at that time. I was the only girl. And, you know, just hung out with them and, you know, <laughs> started doing races. And then my very first trail race was a 10K uh, somewhere in the new territories, like Max Stage, is it nine or 10? Around Tam Reservoir. Tam Reservoir. Yeah. And I won. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is something I should be looking into it. Uh, I mean, obviously, I only won because it wasn't very competitive at that time. Um, it's much more competitive now. And um, so I've done a few years of trail running. I've done all the King of the Hills races, like any any race in Hong Kong, you name it. I've done it multiple times. Um, and then I had a foot injury. I had a lot of running I injuries remember that yeah you got plantar plantar fasciitis really badly in both feet um you know and I d- at that time i didn't know the needleman existed you know so i had a million physio sessions with no improvement uh, basically i couldn't run for like nine months 
and then I discovered a needleman and luckily he fixed me up in like seven weeks. Uh, but while I was, you uh, the know, the needleman is a guy in Hong Kong. He's, he's like famous in Hong Kong, yeah, right? So for it's, acupuncture it's, exactly. around. So it's Alan Chu in Mongkok, and Chu. he's basically he does sports acupuncture. So he's yeah. bas- he's specialized on like sports injuries, especially like when you have issues with your tendons in places where your blood flow is very low, where the chances of recovery. Or, or just the time takes long yeah. so he can fix you up in no time and so while I was um, getting fixed up I started swimming and I was cycling and then I thought oh well you know I can run I can swim I can cycle I might just do an Ironman and I dived straight into a half Ironman I, I never bothered doing the uh, Olympic distance so the half Ironman distance is 21k run, uh, 90-kilometer bike, and uh, begins with a 1.8-kilometer swim. And uh, what year was that? So that must have been. So that was around 2013-14, and I loved it. Like I loved being a triathlete. Um, you know, just like sitting on your aerodynamic bike and having all the gear and like zooming at a high speed on a, on a highway that's been closed for the race it is amazing so i've done about 20 half ironman races have you really okay and I then uh well i, I did them uh, through a period of five years yeah and then um i've done two full ironman races the first one i dnf'd yeah um it was in malaysia and in Langkawi. I, in or? Langkawi. Uh, 180. So the full Ironman distance is um, 3.6 kilometer swim, 180 kilometer bike, and then you run a full marathon, 42.2 k at the end. So finish the swim, finish the bike. Um, but I was I was just in the sun for too long. I was overheated, and then when I set out, uh, leaving transition to do the run, I collapsed. The volunteers scooped me up, cut my race tag off. And that was it. And I was like, I was really disappointed. Um, what time of day uh, was it? Do you start really early you morning? You start at six in the morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, you're like hitting the run at like midday, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so then I realized, okay, I can do a half Ironman in a super hot country, but for the full Ironman, I need to go and do it in a colder country. Yeah. So I've actually then went to Switzerland. It was nice. It was my birthday. It's my hometown. My friends were there. My parents were there. And the course was great. It was 17 degrees. And I did the full Ironman. Like, I wouldn't say easily, but, you know, like, not at any point did I feel like I'm not going to make this like yeah. I did in Langkawi. And it just confirms that my body did just not like um, the heat very much. Did so not like the, the heat, heat. The heat in Langkawi, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, and then shortly after, um, we went on a holiday in New Zealand and there was an obstacle course race. So this was actually my very first obstacle course race. Um, it was on a military training ground in uh, Matakana in the middle of nowhere and uh, so Chris and I, Chris is my boyfriend, uh, we raced as a team and we won and I'm like oh like we won by by, by a lot <laughs> and we were like oh obstacle course racing on a military training ground and you get muddy and there is like 
you know, like I just felt that, you know, all the sports I did in the past has now come together. I also have to say there was a time where I did Muay Thai and CrossFit. Um, but I actually, to be honest, I was never really good at anything I did. Obviously, not having a, much of a sporty background. Wasn't very good at trail running, wasn't good at CrossFit, wasn't good at Muay Thai. Um, when I did triathlons, I was always like in the middle of the pack. So, what, but, what was your sort of best uh, 70.3 time? Or, um, and for your it was 545. That's solid, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think that was in Taiwan. It was a very flat um, yeah. course. I think it was Kenting, if I remember right. And the, yeah. and the full one you did in Switzerland? The full one I did in Switzerland took me a little bit longer. Uh, that took me of like course, around the 40, 14 hours. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's solid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, so but basically when I finished my first obstacle course race, I realized that this is really something I'm good at. For the first time in my life, I was actually good at something. And the only reason I was good at it is because I obviously spent years accumulating a set of useless skills. <laughs> <laughs> and then Spartan came to Hong Kong in 2016, launched their first race, and I won. That was a five-kilometer distance. And then, like, just a few weeks after, I went to Bintan, um, and I did a 21 kilometer Spartan race, obviously knowing that I can do long distances. I did really well on that race as well. I came second and then I realized I should really do more of these races, giving that now I finally discovered like a sport I'm not terrible at. Um, I think you're doing yourself <laughs> a massive disjustice because I mean, obviously in trail running you were, yeah, I mean, you won... Uh, a few of your early races and I actually remember I think it was racing the Hong Kong 50 and I remember uh, which is the first half of the Hong Kong trail I remember you being in front of me and then seeing you come back in the direct, uh, direction. I'm like, hey, what's up? Uh, and that was yes, when you I had Planta. And yeah. you were like, yeah, my. And actually, you didn't no, run much for yeah, quite a while after yeah, that. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's yeah, where you sort yeah. of transitioned to, yeah. to try from there. Yeah, um, yeah. You mentioned your uh, your other half, Chris. Was he doing try at the same time as well? Uh, he basically went through exactly the same thing. So yeah. we did all the sports we did, we did together. So we used to do trail races. We do Moon Tracker every year yeah. as a team of two. Um, and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. it I, I wasn't able to do it in the past two years because it was clashing with the Spartan World Champs in the US. It was always on the same weekend, but yeah. we, we're going to do it this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've uh, I've never done that race before actually, but it, get, it, everyone says it's one of the best races in in Hong Kong. You know it's, why the, it's the best? Why is it the because best? Because it's dark and you can't see where you're going. <laughs> so, like, and then the next thing you know is you cross the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> and there's beer at the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I, we won uh, one year. Actually, we won a few times, and um, I got a few bottles of champagne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so that was that was quite good. Yeah, so it's pretty obvious. Whenever you sort of get into something, you get truly obsessive about it, right? And you just have this <laughs> level of commitment where it's it's all in. There's no, uh, yeah, there's no half measures. All so, or nothing. Yeah. 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 Where do you think that comes from? Um, 
Well, it's part of my personality, um, I guess. I've just done a Myers-Briggs test. Like, I've been doing them for a couple of years. I'm, mm. a, I'm an ENTJ, uh, which is like the super alpha female extroverted personality type. And I mean, obviously, with my full-time job, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader and I manage a large team. And it's like... You work in I, IT. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. You know, if I do something, I'm going to do it properly. And like failure is not an option. So the only option is to succeed. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, obviously me being extremely stubborn. I, I would say that's it. <laughs> <laughs> My mom is the same as me. Yeah, I'm actually like, I'm, I'm fascinated people that are like, or like really strong athletes and, and and there is a real correlation with a lot of the people that we've we've had on the podcast and they've got coming that have uh, like really great athletes but are also brilliant in the professional world as well there seems to be a really interesting correlation there um but so you so you did your first um obstacle course rise and i've got to be honest i have uh kind of not been anti-obstacle course races but i, I I'm a bit of a, I feel I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to race. Like, I, adventure racing is my, is my favorite. And with adventure racing, you kind of want to avoid obstacles rather than go over them. And I've always been a bit like, oh, no, it's a bit gimmicky and, uh, um, and just haven't really like understood it. But I think, and I, the other big thing is like the Tough Mudder is like, it's not a race. Everyone just comes in and just, and completes it. Whilst I like the accessibility of it, bringing people into the sport and people that have never run a 5K before, they'll sign up for a Tough Mudder. And that, that I like about it. I but, see, um, yeah, yeah. But there yeah. was never, there was never a race before. But I think Spartan and, uh, has definitely brought a, a competitive edge to it, which actually sort yeah. of uh, makes it far, far more, more interesting. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I would not race a race that where there is nothing to win. Like, because often, like, um, I mean, I, I travel pretty much every weekend to, 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 to locations in Asia to compete. And um, sometimes I would race on Saturday. Sometimes I would do two races on Saturday and then do another one on Sunday. But I will only enter the elite category because I'm not interested in racing when there is nothing to win, which is also the reason why I'm not a big fan of Tough Mother. Yeah. It has to be competitive. And like when I compete, I will be entering the most competitive category because I don't want to um, race against people. Um, and I'm saying this because there were races in the past that were so remote that I was standing at the starting line knowing I, I was going to win. Yeah. I don't like these races. So I like it when... I look around and I see all my competitors and the person who's going to win is not the fittest one because we're all the same, but the person who just has a good day on that day. Those are the best races because then you feel when you place, you feel like you really earned it. Yeah. When I do races where I'm walking home with a winner's trophy and I'm like, well, but I, I only won because I didn't have any competition and it's not the same, not the same level of satisfaction. Yeah, interesting. So I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you're, um, I mean, you can only beat the field that's around you, but I, I yeah, I do get that the, it, the competition makes you better. 
Yeah. It makes exactly. you train harder exactly. and it makes you race yeah. harder. Yeah. Um, so obstacle course racing is actually only, I mean, Spartan started in Hong Kong 2016 and actually they hadn't been going for too much before that in the States, right? What was yeah. the, what's the kind of history so of that? 2013 the... is when it all started in the US and yeah. it came to Asia in 2016. And um, so I noticed when I did uh, um, triathlons and um, the Ironman races that I was actually competing against people who have been swimming three times a week for their whole life. Yeah, like grew up grew in up the pool. Swimming, yeah. Exactly. So for me, no matter how hard I train, I was never able to like be a pro Ironman athlete where obstacle course racing hasn't actually been around for that long. And, you know, everyone starts at the same time. And... You know, I'm not competing against somebody who's been doing it for 20 years. And that's the beauty about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it started 2013. What What was the... Because there's a few um, races around the world that have been going for, for quite a long time. There's one in the UK. I forget the name of it. Which, what's the... Uh, yeah. What's the Is history? Is it the OCR? Yeah. The ob- no, there was... Um, race. Um, something. Oh, I should have done my research beforehand. But it's, um, <laughs> it's kind of like... It has like a... Oh, rat... No, not rat race. Um, nuts or something. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There's one which is, is in the freezing cold in the UK that's quite a big... Um, obstacle yeah. course race there but where what was the yeah where did it come from what was Spartan the first uh, it was kind of Tough Mudder and Spartan started oh, at a similar so, time yeah. didn't they it originated was... in the 1920s actually and right okay. I'm going to tell you an interesting fact yeah, in, a, yeah. in a second so basically in the 1920s everywhere across Europe obstacle course racing was a big thing yeah um, and and then somehow was it for like army training it was or a military training military training exactly yeah, yeah. and then it but it was very popular amongst non-military people yeah and then it disappeared off the surface and it, it and from then until now it was basically just used in the military um, until obviously Joe who, who's the CEO of Spartan brought it uh, back alive again and so uh, my boyfriend Chris who's also here today so he's from the UK and um, so he went back to see his dad and they went to a museum uh, where you know um, his family lived um, in Taunton somewhere and he found that his grandpa was a professional obstacle course racer in the 20s. Is that right? And because he was so into it, his dad obviously did not enjoy it very much. So it almost like skipped the generation. And that explains why this gentleman over there, Chris <laughs> Davis, best boyfriend in the world, <laughs> um, is actually really good. Like, he also didn't know that. But, you know, obviously there is a talent in his family. Yeah, I, I don't know. My my grandparents are dead, so I don't know what they were up to. But you know, <laughs> it's a um, fact. <laughs> so that and then, but it was really in the uh, in so, so, from t- 2013 that it become uh, it became, I suppose, in the front of mind within the endurance endurance world. And uh, there are some phenomenal athletes that do it. Though, what do you think makes a uh, a great OCR athlete, obstacle course race athlete. <clears throat> yeah, well, so three components. Um, you need to run fast. So if, if you're not a fast runner, you're never going to be a good OCR athlete. You have to have a very strong grip and you have to have a strong upper body. Yeah. 
Um, so I actually, I did a DNA test um, because it was part of uh, when I won the Hong Kong race. It was uh, it was the winner's prize. So Which one did you do? I did the um, I did two. I did one with DNA Fit and yeah. one with uh, AGS in yeah. Hong Kong, um, and they gave you interesting results. So what they do is they measure your fast and your slow twitching muscle fibers. Yeah. So they do endurance against power uh, against versus explosive yeah. power yeah. and strength. Yeah. And so my DNA test came back with like increased grip strength, increased general strength, and yeah. increased endurance. What was your power versus it endurance? Was 50, 50. It was 50-50. It was 50-50. Exactly there you the go. Middle, and do you reckon yeah. that is actually kind of what you need for... Um, I think this is, this is what you need. I mean, obviously, you know, like I'm just saying, like I'm lucky with my genetics, but, uh, you know, that that is only like... 20%, 80% is the training that you're putting in. Maybe not 80%, I would say um, 60% is the training and the remaining um, 20% is how much you sleep, recovery is very important, um, and what you eat. Obviously, I'm on a zero sugar, zero alcohol um, policy, and it's, you just have to be, you know, you really... But I think sleep is probably... The most important thing I find um, there was a time when I um, there, there was a period where I had more second place trophies than winner trophies and it really pissed me off yeah and I'm like what do I need to do what is it it's like what is that last little thing I haven't unlocked so I have a PT and I have a physio and we sat together and they looked at my training plan and they were like, you're crazy. Like, you need to rest more because I didn't rest. And then I went from like not resting to now resting two to three days. And I find, and it's funny, like the less you train, the better you actually get. It's, it's a strange concept. Yeah, um, yeah that's you know, fascinating. So, and, that's... But it's, it's difficult. I have a, like I, I struggle resting because I'm an early bird. I like to get up early in the morning. I like to run up the peak and do a bunch of pull-ups at six in the morning. And then, you know, the endorphin is running and then I'm ready to go to work. If I yeah. go to work without having exercised in the morning, I'm not a... You're a nightmare. No, not, not a nice manager. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So, you know, and that's why I find it really difficult to rest. So just going back to what the three factors were then. Yes. So you mentioned sort of a, a genetics. Do you think, or you were saying that... Was no, that so part the three factors yeah. to be successful in obstacle course racing are grip strength, yeah. general strength, yeah. and um, running fast. And running fast, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other things you, you were talking about were the sort of genetic side, nutrition and sleep. They're the other yeah. key factors. It's really interesting how sleep comes up a lot with the the people that um, that I speak with. There's, there's actually a, a guy called uh, Matthew Walker. He, he wrote a book called Why We Sleep. And there's been so much research done on the importance of sleep from um from to uh, as a counteraction from alzheimer's for so much of your well-being is like for for your weight is is, yeah yeah. and um so how do you make sure that you get enough sleep then what do you do yeah so i mean it obviously helps that my boyfriend and i we live together and we are on the same schedule so uh we just go to bed early like i am like i'm in bed by 9 30 
um, and I also uh, like. Uh, do you read when you go to bed, yeah, or like, like a foam you? roll? I watch. So he reads. I watch fo- uh, watch TV, and I foam roll. Yeah. And then I go to bed. Uh, the key is to be in bed by 9.30 because then we're getting up again at like 5.30 and then we hit the gym by 6 a.m. So yeah. it's it's just... But also like people who know me, they know that if they want to have dinner with me, it's going to be a 6 p.m. dinner. And if it's any later than 6, then I won't go. So people who want to come and have dinner with you at eight and then drag you out for drinks, I just would not socialize with them. So you need to, yeah. I mean... You need to have real discipline. You have around. to be very disciplined and you just have to say no to any activity that's going to take your um, evening and prevent you from going to bed early. Yeah. If you catch, I mean, we travel a lot. So I'm jet-lagged quite often. I travel for work a lot too. Yeah. So, you know, um, I find... Going for a run before I get on the plane and then going for a run when I get off the plane usually does it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Do you, do you monitor your sleep at all? Do you have any, you know, like, apps or anything you um, need to monitor? I don't monitor my sleep because I don't wear my Garmin. Um, and I find I, it uncomfortable I, to yeah, sleep. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't monitor my sleep. I sleep approximately seven hours yeah. where I should really be sleeping eight. eight yeah. But then what happens is like when I race, when I do three races on the weekend, um, like I would go to bed really early on a Sunday. I would go to bed at eight and then I would catch like a good nine and a half hour of sleep and I would skip the gym on Monday morning and yeah. Monday will be my rest day. Yeah. And I would, because I only start work at like nine and that would give me enough time to go to bed early and just catch a really good nine and a half hour of sleep. Yeah. Um, they do. So I've listened to a few, uh, I really recommend it. It's a guy called Matthew Walker. He's been on Joe Rogan podcast and there's a really, uh, um, he's been on Peter Atiyah's, uh Drive podcast. It was actually, it was three podcasts. It was like six hours of content, but just fascinating. And he actually talks about that you can't, if you are just getting six to seven hours, you can't just have a 10 hour and then that will catch up. It has to be, uh, it has to be consistent, but it's just so yeah. difficult to, yeah. um, to, to get the eight hours. Like it also says that if you, once you wake up, you actually need to get up because if you are just staying in bed, laying awake, then it creates an environment that when you're in bed, you're just laying there awake. So you do have to, you have to be focused about bed is for sleeping yeah. and not for watching shit on your phone or, uh, or watching yeah. the TV. So yeah. we have a no electronic devices policy uh, in, in the bedroom. In the bedroom, yeah. So no TV. Like my phone is there, but it's on airplane mode. Okay, just but for I an find alarm. It, it is really just an empty, just a room with a bed. Yeah. Um, and no electronic devices. I also don't look at my phone. Like I stop... And it, it's funny because people tend to message me late in the evening. Yeah. I do not check my phone after like 8, 8.30 p.m. Yeah. I literally just put it away. And um, because I find like the, the, the screen really yeah. interrupts your sleep. Yeah. Um, it's been proven that yeah, it really um, exactly. does affect your But the TV um, doesn't. Like I find that t- watching TV, yeah. maybe it's, it's not just, as bad. It, it's not as bad. Maybe yeah. it's just because it's a far enough away. Um, but I, what I also do is like um, I take supplements. So I usually 
um, take uh, calcium and magnesium uh, in the evening before I go to bed. Okay. Uh, so those two need to be taken together. And then in the morning when I wake up, I take iron and um, vitamin C. I take iron because I have a genetic iron deficiency, which came out in the, in the DNA, DNA, DNA test, yeah. in both tests. Interesting. So, yeah. um, and then, uh, you know. What, what sort of iron supplement do you take? Um, I just buy the stuff from iHerb, um, okay. the orange bottle. I forgot okay. what name yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I find magnesium actually promotes, um, it just kind of like relaxes you a little bit. It like balances you out and makes it easier to fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Like magnesium, potassium are obviously like. Key. So I make myself a cocktail in the evening with calcium, magnesium and potassium. Okay. Um, and vodka? <laughs> Where's the mocha? <laughs> you can't call it a cocktail, I suppose. You can call it a mocktail. It can't be called a cocktail. There's no alcohol. It's a mocktail, it. exactly. <laughs> it's a vitamin tail. Vitamin. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, uh, yeah, just on the nutrition side, and actually it's really interesting the DNA fit that that's one of the because I've done the same one and it's uh it's good to get an understanding of where you have the potential deficiency me for me it's like vitamin b12 and b6 I, think oh, I had is. that yes so yeah. I take so a supplement for that vegetables, too. Yeah. but you can get some bioavailable yeah. supplements yeah. that are quite good another good outcome was that um vitamin um is it vitamin E or D? I can't remember. But one of them is the one that you take from the sun. Vitamin D, yeah. Is it D? Yeah. yeah. So my DNA test says try to expose yourself to sun for 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And it is so true. Like when, I, when I'm outside then, and I'm in the sun, I'm happier. Yeah. I'm happier being in the sun than being in the shade. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a few factors there. It's obviously the the light helps your circadian rhythm but i think there's also uh, like the the vitamin d so i actually do all my unless i'm trying i'm started training with the heavy pack now but i train without a top on and just uh, and as long as it's not over half an hour luckily in in singapore we've got as you can see there's proper cloud cover yeah. at the moment and it's pretty much the same in hong kong yeah, yeah. the sun is not quite as strong but in australia if, uh, unless you've got 50 on you are yeah, like going to be yeah. burnt to a cinder yeah, yeah, yeah. but Bad, yeah. Training and exposing your skin to the sun for as long as it's not too long is exactly. actually re really good for you. Yeah, yeah. What else do you do on, on the nutrition side then? You sort of touched on that you are no sugar, no alcohol. How yeah. do you do no alcohol? Well, I just don't. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I surround myself with people who do the same thing. So my time is actually very limited. Yeah. I work like 11 hours a day. I spend two hours in the gym in the morning and then in the evening I exercise again. So I have very little time to spend with people. And uh, I don't have many friends either. But the friends I do have are those who do the same thing as myself. Yeah. So nobody is interested in going out on a Friday night because everyone I hang out with wants to get up early on a Saturday Saturday and, and go running yeah. and uh, so I do like on a Saturday so we're friends with this couple who does Spartan races and um, you know on a Saturday I would run 25k and I would do 250 burpees and you know then go stuff my face and then just lie on the couch for the rest of the day and so that couple kind of started training with us and then their schedule has shifted so they now get up early eat early go to bed early so um 
yeah, I mean, there is just no time for me yeah. to spend time with people who are not on the same schedule and don't want to achieve the same things. Yeah, no, that surround yourself with like-minded people, and uh, and so when you, so what what do you eat? You mentioned you, yeah. Your, what is what's your weekly? So um, I I got a full-time helper, so we have two dogs, two big dogs. They're actually uh, very fit dogs. So um, because both of us are in the office all day, uh, we hired a full-time helper just for the dogs so she's out with them like five six hours a day um but also she makes all our food um and in the morning i have some my monday to friday food is very boring because my helper makes everything she puts it into boxes in the morning i get up i take the boxes to work i have uh, scrambled eggs with like avocado mushroom in the morning and then she sometimes makes bircher muesli it's yeah. like soaked Swiss version of soaked oats yeah. with like raisins and apples. Uh, for lunch, I have a super boring pot with vegetables or a salad. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And because I go to the gym every day, I take a few apples on my way out. Yeah. Um, in the afternoon when I feel like sugar craving, I would just eat like three or four apples. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you don't. Do you measure your, your macros or and and the volume? Because you're training so much, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm sure you can I pretty much eat till you're not no, hungry, I, right? I, I don't need to because my DNA test also uh, showed that I have a fa- fast uh, metabolism. Yeah. What so, diet did it recommend for you? Like well, a Mediterranean? Well, it or? recommended. Now here is the funny thing. I'm actually different than other people. My diet should be high. So my DNA test results said I should be eating 60% carbs, um, 30% protein and 10% fat. Where for a lot of people, the protein and the carbs is the other way around. So if I went on like a paleo diet, which I did when I did CrossFit, I found that didn't work for me. But I get away with... It didn't work for you in what way? Well, I just felt bloated. Yeah. all the time and I felt I wasn't happy yeah. I was grumpy I felt bloated and hungry at the same time so you too much protein it or? was too much protein and not enough carbs and then yeah, when I got my DNA test I'm like oh makes sense. now it makes yeah. sense so like once every two weeks I get a carb craving and then I will go home after work it's usually when I have conference calls in the evening and I would cook myself a massive I would smash two massive plates of pasta, like yeah. a creamy with a with a white creamy sauce, and I would add scallops and shrimps. Yeah, yeah. And that satisfies my carb uh, cravings. And so Monday to Friday is pretty boring. Um, but then on the weekends, I just don't care because I will have exercise like six hours anyways on each day. Yeah. So I can literally eat whatever. And, you know, like I love, I mean, you know, I'm Swiss, so I obviously love cheese. Cheese, yeah. <laughs> and Do you actually have like a fondue thing at home? Of course, I have, <laughs> I have a fondue set. I have two raclette sets. And my parents visit me from Switzerland like twice a year. And they literally smuggle five to six kilos of cheese in their suitcase <laughs> to Hong Kong. Um, so, and since my boyfriend doesn't eat cheese, I end up eating it all. Yeah. And, you know, like I love a good pizza. I'd, I get away with eating pasta. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's like, um, 
like when I was injured and I couldn't run, like for my DNA test also says like I need to be doing a lot of cardio. Yeah. So I noticed when I had the foot injury and I did only I did CrossFit for like about two years and I didn't do much cardio exercise as part of CrossFit. Um, and I felt like I gained weight. You know, yeah. I became a bit bulky and, um, you know, then luckily what happened is the, the CrossFit gym in Hong Kong, um, they closed. And I'm like, and my foot injury just recovered. And this is when I got into triathlons. And then once yeah. I started running again, my weight just kind of went back to normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so back into your uh, your racing career then. So the first Spartan race that, that started in Hong Kong in 2016, you won the first one, and that was after you and Chris um, winning the one in New Zealand. Yeah, so the Spartan race in Hong Kong was our second obstacle course race ever. That was only the second ever. one, yeah, yeah. And then did you just immediately like go, right, I'm going to go to every single race? Because you <laughs> literally go to, you're traveling every other weekend to yeah. a new destination in APAC. And, yeah. and globally so yeah did you yeah. were you all in from from that point that's exactly what we did yeah yeah um because we just realized ooh, oh we're, we're finally good at something so yeah. let's explore a little bit more of that and yeah. then what happened is we were like okay let's look at all the races in asia and we started flying and we were doing really well um and you know then uh, hong kong contacted us and asked us if we wanted to be spartan ambassadors which was awesome because that meant that we can race for free yeah yeah so we didn't have to pay the entrance fee we just have to pay for our flights and hotels um and so you know then we raced even more and you know this earlier this year in january i signed the pro contract and um what does Basically, that mean? Uh, there is not much difference between the um, being an ambassador and the pro. Um, well, they they changed the model. I think the new ambassadors who are onboarded now they will have to pay their own entrance fees, yeah. where we at that time didn't. Yeah. So that's why for me there is not much change. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you get like a custom shirt and there's <laughs> actually not much benefits of being a pro to be honest um, but there are benefits of winning right you do yeah, there's, I there's mean, a there lot of money so, there is a lot of money in it yeah, yeah 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 and so there's obviously a league and you so 20 was it 2016 that that year you you have to race in a certain amount of um of races to qualify for the world champs How yeah so basically so there is serious races across all of asia um, so it will be like a series with like four races and you, j and so there, are, there are approximately 20 Spartan races in Asia every year. And so there is a Southeast, um, Asia series yeah. and a North Asia series. Um, and so, yeah. So when you place in the series, so, um, you actually get a serious prize. So you don't just get cash for every race where you podium, uh, but you also get cash for podiuming on the series. And that then qualifies you to attend the APAC championship. And that's again, cash if you podium. And that qualifies you to attend the world championship, which we did in 2017 and 18. Okay, so you've been there the last two years. Is it always in Tahoe? 
um, they had it, they hosted it in different locations before, but the last two years were in Tahoe and up the upcoming, this year is going to be in Tahoe in as Tahoe well. In Tahoe again. Yeah, I, I'm quite fascinated about um, about DNFs, and you talk, <laughs> you, you obviously talked about uh, your first Ironman was a DNF. But have you uh, have you had any DNFs in the uh, of OCR? You have, of course, not yeah. on the sprint distance though. I'm sure. No, no, no. So I, um, no, I, I didn't DNF. Um, so the I DNF'd in the World Championships in Tahoe in the first the first year yeah in 2017 as well as in 2018 so there is multiple races so the one where I DNF'd in is the individual race that was on Saturday um, and then I did well on the team race on the next day so the is, reason, is the Saturday the longer distance what the sort Saturday of distance? is the longer distance but the reason I DNF'd is because like Tahoe is a ski resort what so, time of year is it <clears throat> it was like a, it's usually like early October Okay, so start so, of the winter season. <clears throat> start of the winter season. So you're at a high attitude. Um, and, you know, we were standing at the starting line at six in the morning. It was zero degrees. And then you have to run up to the top of the mountain, <laughs> which is the, at like 3,000 meters. Do all the dudes like mainly like, because they've all got their tops off all the time. I don't know whether that's just because they're all shredded to find or whether they actually, it, it does. In fact, I actually did the race today and I was thinking I should really take this t-shirt off. It's weighing me down because it gets yeah. soaking. But um, yeah. yeah, it must be freezing. At, uh, at it was freezing. It was absolutely freezing. So zero degrees when we started and then the race begins with running to the very top of the mountain. So we had to run up to 3,000 meters. And when you get there, there was a lake. So one of the obstacles was jumping in an ice-cold lake and swim through the lake, obviously. I'm with shivering a, now with, in with like 32 degrees Singapore on. just thinking about it. And in 2017, I got DNF'd because I jumped in and I basically felt, you know, that feeling of like when you... Are about you can't breathe and yeah, so the ambulance fished me out with hypothermia. hypothermia so last year i was like okay you know i know what to expect this time i'm going to practice and i practice i would go to 7-eleven i would buy a bag of ice i would put it in my bathtub and i would take an ice bath at home and so and it helped because in 2018 i actually was able to swim through the lake i came out of it um, it was the same location. Same location. Yeah. But you're in the cold water for so long. Like the water temperature was like, it was just above the freezing point. It must yeah. have been like, I don't know, one, two degrees. Yeah. And you're in the water for, you, the swim is like maybe 100 meters with a swimming vest. Um, and with your whole your shoes, you, you, all, you're, you're fully dressed. You come out of the water and then the problem is... Um, your whole body cramps and I'm like okay fine all I need to do is keep moving and so I kept running and um, there was a bucket carry that was on a very steep slope uh, obviously at the high attitude the co freezing cold wind was hitting us w when you're wearing your co wet clothes and this is where I got taken out and I basically finished the bucket carry and I kept running to the spear throw um, and 
I was so cold, like I basically did not feel my legs from my hip downwards. Now imagine running on legs that you can't feel on, on the trail where you, it's so easy to twist the frozen like ankle. Like a newborn giraffe. Uh, exactly, right, exactly. And then there was another obstacle. So you're already miserable and you're freezing and you're like, you're so far on that mountain, there is no easy way to come back down again. And you're like, can I swear? Yeah. You're like, fuck this shit. <laughs> Anyways, and there was a dunk wall where we had to go in the water again. So I went into the water and I came out and luckily I had an emergency blanket in my backpack. I took it out and I wrapped myself in, but I was in a really horrible state. So I continued to the spear throw, which was just like maybe 500 meter further down. And the volunteer saw me because I couldn't run. I was walking at that time. Did you still have your space blanket? Yes. And he came over to me. He's like, are you exiting? I'm like, no. He's like, he asked me like a bunch of questions and I was shivering so badly. I just couldn't respond. And he just put his arm around me and he's like, I think you're done. And I was put in a cottage um, that was heated and so many people were there. It was like people, it's a world championships. You know, there were Europeans and Americans and like- And you can only South race if you have placed in a region or yes. placed in a country. Yes. Yeah. So obviously the people who win are those legit. races are the Americans and the Canadians who yeah. are always, who are used to high attitudes and yeah. who train in cold countries. Yeah. I mean, of course I'm from Switzerland, but I've been living in Hong Kong for 11 years. At the sea level, you yeah. acclimatize. So the high attitude, didn't bother me when I was snowboarding as a kid, but it does bother me now. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, cold, like my body just doesn't do cold. But then in return, like I do really well in races like Thailand. Yeah. I can literally, like I, every race I did in Thailand, I, I did really well where a lot of people had like suffered from heat exhaustion yeah so you know i mean it's you you can't have it all i bet if the americans come to thailand and race in the heat they're not yeah. going to do that well either they need to start holding the world champs in other in other areas to to stop giving the, what uh, they do the is they say americans the winning advantage. country gets the world champs so it actually never leaves the u.s okay yeah, yeah. and i suppose is there like a big spectator thing around it as well when they do the world champs? Yes, it is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a, it's a whole ski resort. It's, yeah. Um, that is super occupied with uh, there are thousands of people just on that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would. Um, and so, and on the world champs weekends, you've got one on your individual, which is a twenty-five k, and then they do a team race, which is twelve k. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, and then the team race is just by your country. By your country, yeah. And In is which, it mixed, or is it you do um, all female and then all male, or then? yeah? So they've been only running the team race for the past two years. The first year in two thousand seventeen, it was mixed. Yeah. And then they realized. We had a disadvantage because we had two girls and one guy. Um, you're probably stronger as a team if you have two guys and one girl, just given the heavy yep. weights that you need to carry. Um, do they do different weights? No, no, world champs, it's all the same weight. Is it really? And this is where we had a disadvantage. But then yeah. the next year they split it. So the team race was a woman's and a man's team. Yeah. Um, 
So, and this year they haven't announced it yet. Have you or so have you already placed into the? Yeah, so I won the. Um, I've already qualified for the world champs because I won the uh, ultra in JB. Ah, oh, that's right. So yeah, that, that was, was the fifty k. It was the fifty k Spartan race in JB, and it took place on the first of December. So, and that was after the world champs two thousand eighteen. So that winning that obviously automatically. Um, gave me a spot, not just in the APAC champs, but in the Tahoe World champs. Yeah, yeah, that really interests me. So we did the the 5K sprint today, which um, is completely not my, uh, <laughs> yeah, is not my distance or, uh, but the uh, doing a 50K distance actually, I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind giving that a go at some point, but you have to do, so it's the 25K course times two, so exactly. there's 60 ob- obstacles or something. Exactly, uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so you won uh, the one in JB last year. Yeah. How many burpees? Uh, how many of because because if you don't if you don't do one of the obstacles, you don't clear it. You have to do thirty burpees. Right. Exactly. How many? Because uh, I can imagine on the second round doing the monkey bars and doing the uh, the um, uh, the hoop swing. It must be you just got no grip strength after that's six a, that's, hours. That's of exactly being what there. happens. Yeah. Because uh, so the first loop was. The first 25k was fine. I've done it a million times. I don't think I failed any obstacles. Literally, how many times have you done a 25k distance? I don't know, like maybe 20 times. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so the first half was fine. But then what happens is your grip goes. Yeah. Like you can always run. You can always... your upper body strength doesn't necessarily go away but what really goes away is your grip so on the second loop I failed obstacles that I normally wouldn't fail like um, monkey bars the Z wall which is like a rock climbing thing where you hold on to like a wall Um, I failed you know this is the thing like I did 150 burpees but I don't remember which obstacles I failed right um, because I was so out of it. It was, it was, it was in in JV, it was really hot. Like I literally hallucinated for the last 10 kilometers because I knew I was winning. There was nobody behind me. Um, there were approximately a hundred people who started the ultra on that day. How many finished? Of like half of them. Okay, yeah. that's still not so bad. I yeah. mean, that's a high DNF rate, but it's not surprising. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, I just wanted to focus on going the right way, yeah. and I was basically was it on trails. Yeah, it was everything. It was mud and trails. We crossed rivers. Um, it it was on uh, it was, was on it the rocks. It was on grass. It was a good course. Yeah, yeah. it was just really long, and so. Now, if you do two loops of the 25K, obviously on your second loop, there will be a lot of people who are in your way. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and you're like running and you're like going like twice or three times the speed and they're just there walking. And it's a bit annoying because when the trail gets a bit narrow, a lot of people will be in your way. So you have to like, you know, shout, excuse me many, many times. And my voice also disappeared. (laughs) <laughs> but you, you did it in pretty fast time as well, right? It's yeah, like eight hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that was fast enough. Um, yeah. Um, it what, was what? pretty flat, I have to say. There, weren't, yeah. there were no mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, and they've got. I think there's one in the Philippines at the end of the year, isn't there? Another is it called Ultra that distance? So uh, this year, it, Malaysia and the Philippines and Beijing are hosting an Ultra. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm going to do is the one in Malaysia is a 12k race on Saturday. So this is my serious race, which I would technically need for the APAC qualifications. So I'm going to do that just for the sake of it. And then the next day there is an ultra. Yeah. So I'm, I haven't thought about strategies yet, but I might actually sacrifice the podium for on Saturday and then try to win the ultra. I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know, yeah, but that, it's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, doing back to I, back I wouldn't do it the other way around. If no. I did a 50K on a Saturday, I probably wouldn't run on Sunday. Yeah. But the 12K only takes to like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's only got like 25 obstacles. So it's, yeah. you can get through it really quickly. So it's not, you can't possibly hurt yourself too much. So I yeah. think I should be able to do an ultra the day after. Yeah, well, we um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing you in the world champs again next year. Once <laughs> I hope I'm not going to DNF this time, uh, yeah. and I don't know. I need to think my clothing strategy through. Well, one you, more but time. you DNF'd and then you came back the following year after doing your ice baths and and then and then finished the second year, right? Uh, no, so the second year I DNF'd, but. This time I wasn't fished out of the lake. I, f I went through the lake, but what happened is I got taken out at the top of the mountain because I was um, in wet clothes, g getting hit by the wind. It was yeah, minus. I got you. The temperatures were so cold. Yeah. So I got taken out a little bit later in the race, but I would say I did a bit better in 2018 than I did in 2017. So my expectation would be maybe... <laughs> It's it's really that one race where I have unfinished business. Yeah, I know that. Apart feeling. from that, I can I can run any distance. I can win any distance. But it's the cold. It's the cold. Yeah. That it's the heat that took me out in Malaysia during my first Ironman. That was the only triathlon I ever DNF'd. And Tahoe minus temperature is running in snow. My other Spartan race, I DNF'd. So yeah, yeah. I've um, yeah. I think uh, I, yeah. You need to do a bit more cold uh, cold training then, don't you? But um, but yeah. Good good luck for uh, for finishing it next time round. I'm trying um, my best. I've got some uh, like kind of quick fire questions for you. Um, so first up, uh, you strike me as well. I've known you for a while, but you're pretty level headed. But what what makes you uh, what makes you emotional? Um, what makes me emotional? Um, well, I, I love my dogs. And so I find when, uh, so I have a list with happy moments. Um, and if I do a long distance race, I don't use that list on short distances, but when you hit like the third, when you hit 30 K, that's usually when my motivation kind of yeah. goes. Yeah. So um so i have a list with like happy moments well, stuff on that list will be you know just you know my friends coming to my birthday junk or spending time with my parents 
having some amazing holidays with my boyfriend, but just coming home and like cuddling with the dogs. These are the things that make me happy, so they automatically make me emotional. So I have a list where I write all that down and I read the list and I literally visualize it before a long race. So when I hit that wall at around 30K in, then I can just easily like pull up the pictures. Another thing that makes me emotional in an angry way is when I do stupid things. Like, and I've done a few stupid things that cost me the win. Because Spartan racing is, so obstacle course racing in general is a very strategic game. It's not just running or being strong. Like, you have to have a strategy for every obstacle. And that strategy changes when when it's raining. So... And I've done a few stupid things where when I threw the spear, I stepped on the rope, missed the spear. That's 30 burpees. That's like two minutes wasted your time. And that would cost me the win. Um, And I would come second. Ah, Little things like that really annoy me. Or one time there was a memory test. In a few races, actually, where you have to remember, you go, you run up to a board and it's the last two digits of your bib. But then on that race, they changed it. It was the first two digits. And I'm obviously very good with remembering numbers. Um, and I'm like, okay, easy, looked at it, remembered it straight away. And I never fail obstacle like a memory test but I memorized the wrong two numbers and that cost me the win I came second instead of winning because I was put back in time for two minutes by having to do 30 burpees it's the little things where you're like you make small strategic mistakes that have a huge impact and those mistakes make me angry Um, and it's really I find it sometimes hard to let go you're like could have done better but you know like i'm not the only one who makes these mistakes everyone makes these mistakes so when you're competing with people who are as strong as you are it is all about who's having a good day and who's not making any mistakes and that's the person who's going to win yeah yeah yeah. very cool um what's the uh most inspirational book or what is a book that you get a lot of inspiration from so, um, obviously, being a manager, I read a lot of management books. Um, I love Simon Simic. Yeah. Um, and so, the book I read recently is... Um, Leaders Eat Last. Le- Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. And right now, I'm reading Why. Yeah, yeah. Start and with obviously, why. you know, I have studied um, economics. And uh, it's, I just find it very interesting... Um, and I find it very inspirational. Basically, to summarize why, uh, well, I'm only like halfway into the book, um, but it's basically that our full-time jobs are very bad for us and they're making us sick. And I'm like, well, I just look at society and I'm like, oh my God, what have we done? Yeah. Can I be a full-time athlete? No, I need to pay my rent. And my you need credit, to pay for your flights to be to, able to get to the to st- start maintain line. my standard of living. Like, it's like we're stuck. And it's just reading Simon Simic and watching all his motivational. I love all his motivational videos. Um, it's Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a massive fan as well. Yeah. Actually, uh, it's, uh, 
I've just started a new job recently and, and Start With Why is a book that I've, I've given to all of, all of my team. And yeah. I think it's the concept of creating a sense of purpose and, and a reason for doing something and a reason why you get out of bed every morning is yeah. just so important. And also like in my job, like I mean, so I've joined that firm two years ago. And I mean, all I do is like I literally walk around and I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing why are we doing that? Can we optimize this process? You know, yeah. I just question everything. Yeah. You know, uh, obviously having the output of like making the firm more yeah. efficient, but also like when I delegate work, I don't just delegate stuff. You know, I give ownership yeah. and I explain why it needs to be done. Yeah. And like I literally go around and like I motivate people trying to find their why so I can tailor the work I give to them yeah. to whatever they want to achieve for me where it really resonated is uh, is uh, with my son getting a four-year-old to brush his teeth before he's five now to brush his teeth before bed <laughs> and just say just do it just brush your teeth and you're like you're, you're giving him the like uh the, the how like the what but you're like giving him a reason to do it and uh yeah, you know I, what you can do you can ask him do you want to brush your teeth with the blue or with the yellow toothbrush yeah so this is one thing is that we went in and like, got him to choose his toothbrush that he wanted and he it gets works on my boyfriend all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. just give him the option give him the choice one, without giving them the choice like, i've got fillings so i like show him all like i've got fillings in my teeth and there's metal in my teeth like, do you want metal in your teeth like because if you don't brush your teeth every morning and night then you will uh, end up with having metal in your teeth that's uh, um yeah no i think uh, two great books leaders eat last as well is a phenomenal amazing uh, love book. it yeah love it i love it how it dives into history and economy and future and humanity and just yeah. everything so yeah. it's the way it starts in talking yeah. about the um the the different um whether it be oxytocin or that just add the things that um yeah uh, like dopamine, adre- dopamine serot- serotonin, serotonin and adrenaline adrenaline the, and, oxy- oxytocin. and oxytocin yeah. is like the sense of like the family being surrounded yeah. um by people you love etc um it really does help you understand and and then the um and then cortisol is the other one which uh, the uh, stress cor- hormone which yeah. is the stress hormone which uh which is so bad for you yeah i mean we talked about lack of sleep and actually if you've got high cortisol levels it really does affect your quality yeah. of sleep yeah and minimizing cortisol is just so so critical it's that fight yeah. or flight Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so you probably need to find, I mean, you know, obviously we have to work. Um, yeah. We're not quite there yet in a life where we can send someone else to go and work for us. So I think the best we could probably do is, like you said, minimize stress, yeah. minimize cortisol um, and have a job where you don't get stressed out. Yeah. Like I have so much. I love my current job. I have so much freedom um, to do the things I want to do when I want to do them. Yeah. So, and I think looking back at my career, previous jobs I had were nonsense and they were so stressful. And now I actually, I wake up in the morning and I'm, I exercise and I'm happy to go to work. Yeah. And I think this is the key since yeah. we can't eliminate work. Yeah. Um, we can at least find a job that makes us happy you know because like there is only a certain amount of money you need i was just reading something about happiness the other day um and if you're too rich 
doesn't then you're not happy right? yeah. so i think the key is to find that break even point how much money do you need to make i mean can i make more i probably can do i want to go into a more stressful job to pay to spe- to uh, earn more money that i not don't have time spending yeah. no so you need to find that edge to earn just enough so you never have to worry about your credit card bill and any finances or your tax bill and you can do what you want to do but whenever have you enough want to do it freedom to be able to exercise as much as you want and yeah. my boss luckily he's a fantastic guy uh, well obviously he's like a year older than me and he's into sport and racing he's a runner himself so when i take fridays off to travel somewhere he's like oh fine and i'm supposed yeah. to take a block leave yeah. for two weeks and i haven't taken one last year because all my holiday went on taking fridays off to go to races yeah. and he hasn't said anything so yeah, if you can cool. have a job that fulfills you where you like going to work yeah. and it pays you enough so you don't have to worry that will massively reduce your cortisol levels yeah. and it will automatically promote a better sleep now all you need to do is add good quality food and there yeah. you go <laughs> yeah that is the key to happiness yeah um any podcast that you you're listening to at the moment any favorite podcast yeah so i am really into future grind future grind future grind so um basically it's about uh, futurism okay. and uh, transhumanism um so i'm so i'm i'm a futurist i mean obviously i'm a, i'm a visionary and i'm a futurist and like the stuff that actually keeps me awake at night is how are we going to survive as humanity you know like what is it that we need to do to expand to other planets can we just go to mars we can't because our human bodies are not um uh, not stable enough so we eventually need to somehow augment ourselves or you know transform into like a more machine type of living to be able to just survive the journey from here to mars so these are the kind of things and i also you, love I, I, human augmentation um elon musk have you like yes. listened to any of his have you heard him on the joe rogan podcast actually uh, no, like I where haven't. he gets stoned when he's watching it but that's actually i'd, I'd recommend digging that one out yeah, actually it's yeah. fascinating hearing him talk yeah. about that but you said human augmentation human augmentation so i truly believe and i know this sounds a bit weird not everyone is on the same page as me so don't think i'm crazy but like i believe that we might actually be the last generation of human athletes um because you know like we are already transforming like um we will be transforming with technology at some point in the future and it's probably going to be around maybe 2050 um we might even come up with a way of like reverse to to reverse aging um so it's all these interesting um, elements. So, that poses a question for me, actually. Like in, like to, so, to, sorry, give, yeah, to give you finish. like an example, yeah. like if you lost your arm, you would get um, a, 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 a prosthetic arm. Yeah. But then uh, nowadays, the prosthetics are so good, you can feel, so they can be connected to your uh, neurosystem and you can actually feel what the prosthetic arm feels so what i'm saying is like part of like transhumanism thinking is that technology i mean obviously me working in it 
and being very scientific helps, but technology will advance to the point where prosthetics will be so good that People will be cutting their arm off to race Spartans like so they example, can get Like an them. example, if you could swap your eyes with like a new set of eyes that had like infra vision and night vision and everything, you could do a moon tracker without the torch. Yeah. Or like um, for all the runners who are listening to this podcast, have you ever had an injury like an ITB or an Achilles tendon or plantar fasciitis and that took a really long time to heal and you're so frustrated? What if you had the option to swap a piece of tendon with a piece of artificial tendon and just make your injuries go away? You know, I mean, there is a whole yeah. ethical question. Yeah, especially when it comes to, to sport. And actually, I'd be interested in, in your take on PEDs and whether it exists within the OCR world. It's PEDs? Certain, what is PED? Uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Performance-enhancing oh, okay. drugs. Yeah. yeah, it's obviously in the CrossFit world has been really prominent and there's been a few people that have... Uh, yeah, ha- have been found and have been tested for it and found there uh, and disqualified for it. But do you think that's coming into the OCR world? Um, it has already. So at the World Championships, the top 20 athletes, um, not all of them, but they pick the winners and they pick random people from the top um, 20 and there have been disqualifications. There have been, yeah. 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 And then, yeah, as you talk... In, but, you, you know, like this is something, it's like... Or, you know, taking drugs or like just cheating in general. Like, I just don't understand. How can you possibly stand on the podium with the, with the winner's trophy in your hands, smiling at the photographers and the audience, knowing that you've cheated? How do you sleep at night? Like, I couldn't do it. Um, because it is cheating and cheaters should get disqualified but you know like i mean the apac champs there is no testing at the apac champs there are suspicious people i've seen racing especially my direct competitors who i beat in every race and then out of the nowhere they would suddenly perform like outperform me by like a lot i'm like where did this come from Mm. So it's like it, there, I've seen and observed dodgy things. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I wish there was more testing in, in OCR. It's expensive to do. It's expensive. Well, yeah. It costs 2,000 US. Yeah, for every test. Every test, 2,000 US. And they need yeah. to capture you on the, like, the right time. So they need to take the sample right yeah. before the race or right after uh, the race. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Yeah, yeah. It's I. I just wish we, they could do more testing, but Surely I see due to cost. Surely that price has got to come down at yeah. some point, right? Isn't it? Um, yeah, it's interesting, and it, there's a bit in the sort of ultra marathon world that it's it's starting to the testing starting to come in now. Um, but yeah, next question: what um, What's the best kit that you've bought for under a hundred US dollars? Lock laces. Lock laces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, what are, so obviously laces for your shoes. La- shoelaces, exactly. Yeah, um, because my shoes. Is that the take, brand lock laces? Um, it's no. I think it's just elastic laces that okay. you don't need to lace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so because my shoes, obviously going through all the mud and trails, my shoes take quite a bit of a beating. I, yeah. I need to 
it's a good thing I get free shoes, but like my shoes don't survive what more, shoes more than use? five races. Um, so I have, um, I use a New Balance, yeah. the spiky ones, yeah, yeah. and then I have some uh, spiky Reeboks. Yeah. But I also use a very narrow version of the Hoka. It really depends. Like if I did like an ultra, yeah. I would run half the race in a spiky shoe and the second half in my narrow Hokas. Gotcha. Um, and I find because the shoes take such a beating, laces tend to open very easily in a Spartan race. So lock laces cost nothing, cost you like 10 US. Yeah. Um, and it is the best thing. Okay, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll seek out a link to them and put them in the uh, put yeah. them in the show notes. Yeah, they sell them at Escapades. Okay. Um, or oh, any any sports store has lock laces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of one of the uh, final questions is something I always love to ask. Actually, in in business interviews as well, when I interview candidates. So, what what's the uh, what's your proudest personal and professional moment of your life? What's something you're most proud of? Um, uh, so my proudest moment in my professional life is, um, well, the firm I joined now, I'm actually up, I'd only joined two years ago. I got promoted one year in and I'm about to get promoted again. Um, so I'm obviously really proud of that. Um, in sports, every time when I win a race, but only those wins where I had sufficient competitors. Just standing. My actually proudest moment was winning the ultra. Yeah. Um, that was probably the hardest race I ever did. The hardest race you've that, ever done. The ultra done. was the hardest race. Yeah. Yeah. And winning that, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So Maggie, any uh, any further advice for? I suppose people that are looking to get into OCR or, or even that are looking to, to you know, train for, for their first marathon, especially kind of um, for female athletes as well that are looking to, um, looking to venture into the sport. Any advice closing yeah, your Yeah, so I mean, I mean, you know, obviously they know what they need to train for, but I think being in the right mental state is important and having enough confidence to do, a, to complete a race. Like... You're obviously, as you mentioned, in your Myers-Briggs, a sort of alpha female. So for, for those that, yeah, I suppose any advice on how to how to gain, the, get like, that confidence and visualize, uh, get that mental. Like, don't think that there is anything you can't do. Because if you don't do it, you will never find out. So advice number one, advice number two is whatever race you're entering, enter the most competitive category. Like what I do is I stand at the starting line and I have the confidence to stand in the front. Nobody should be standing in the back. If you know that you're going to do well in the race, don't stand at the back, stand in the front, dominate that middle bit. And I usually visualize myself. I, I visualize the output of whatever it is that I want to achieve. Like, and that can be anything. Like, I visualize winning a race. And so during the entire race, I run with the vision that I'm going to win it. Or at work, like, I visualize where I'm going to be in five years. And unconsciously, every decision you make is going to be towards that goal. Like, when I was... 16 years old, I lived in Switzerland and I was like, 
I want to live in Asia. And, you know, then I worked for a hedge fund and there was an opportunity and I got that job and I came to Asia. It's like, what I'm saying is like, you can achieve anything you want to achieve if you want it badly enough. So there is no limit of what you can do because you can do everything. And if you don't think that this is true, then maybe you should start thinking it and have this, have this attitude of, yes, I can win a race. Yes, I can achieve this and this in my career. Yes, I can climb Mount Everest or yes, I can. Have you always had that though? Um, well, I think no. I wasn't very confident as a teenager. Yeah. What started changing my personality was actually 10 years ago when I started trail running. Yeah. And when I started winning races, that completely changed my confidence level. Yeah. Um, but and that would have obviously fed into your professional life as well. That's one thing I love about sport is just the confidence of being able to do something, whether it is just doing a 5K fun run. But if, it, if that gives you confidence, that can really affect your entire life not yeah, just your, yeah. your I mean you know everyone started small like I mean uh, like I said you don't uh, I didn't grow up doing sports you know I only got into it 10 years ago you know I, I wasn't born the smartest person um, it's like you 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 make um, you are in full power of how your life is going to turn out you know, because you're the person who makes the decisions. And if you want to go for it, just go for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't let... And also, like, I find not... Like, surrounding yourself with positive people. So I read an amazing book. It's called Iron Fit when I did all my triathlon training because I wanted to train as efficiently as I could. Yeah. And the book basically starts with surrounding yourself with positive people. There are a lot of people who will dump their problems on you. I'm not saying you shouldn't be there for your friends, but you know, like don't let negativity impact you. Push it all off and only spend your time with people who add value to your life and people who make you happy, people who make you laugh. I don't need to share other people's miseries. I purely focus on the positive. And I mean, there is no, there is a lot of things that you can do. I read a lot of self-improvement books and management books and motivational stuff and yeah. watch Simon Simic yeah. videos and everything. So, um, yeah, no, that's yeah. great advice. <laughs> I, I love that. So surrounding yourself with, uh, with, successful people or people that, that add value and, and you always need to be ruthless and uh, and uh, and really keep that core group yeah. of people and also like maybe get a mentor like in in your professional life like uh, when I um, when I worked at UBS I had a mentor and she was the CTO and I want to be a CTO one day so yeah. obviously getting advice from somebody who who is where I want to go is awesome and in sport it's it's exactly the same pick a person decide what you want to do with yourself and then look at the sport and find that person who's already there go and ask them a lot of questions on what you need to do to get there and you'll get the best advice yeah 
That's awesome. Very good advice, Maggie. It's been a pleasure, mate. I like watching. Did we run out of time? We're, no, we're, we're good. <laughs> We've. Uh, um, <laughs> Watching your transformation over the last 10 years has been just unreal. I'm like, uh, it's been so impressive. And I'm sure that you've inspired a lot of uh, other people to get out and do OCR races. You've certainly inspired me over the years and uh, and finally got me to do an OCR race today. <laughs> maybe never I again. I hope you'll do another one. <laughs> uh, maybe, we'll see, we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, Maggie, it's been an absolute pleasure, my dear. Thank you so much. Okay, lovely. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome chatting to you. Thank cool. you for the opportunity. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Well, there you are. What a, what a beast of an athlete Maggie is. Um, it's Scott here. I'm, uh, I'm recording the, uh, the breakdown solo. Um, we've got a man down with Mr. Stockfish. Uh, Rick has... Uh, uh, after me having the flu a couple of weeks ago, he succumbed to some illness and now uh, contracted hand, foot, and mouth disease. So he's um, he's on his deathbed right now. The poor bastard. Um, he's also set his training back a little bit uh, for TMBT. He's uh, just you know about um, nine, eight weeks to go now. So uh, he'll be fine. He'll uh, he'll pull out of it. He'll, uh, take a couple of man up pills and he'll be out running at the weekend i'm sure um but yeah there was a really great chat with uh, with maggie there and uh it's just the thing that kind of resonates with me is the level of dedication that she has to to her sport everything else is kind of secondary i mean obviously outside of her, her dogs which she's very passionate about but I think what allows her to be so dedicated is the fact that that her and her boyfriend Chris, who is also like an absolutely legit athlete in his own right, he he uh, podium that no, I think he finished uh, he finished second on that day in uh, in Singapore. I watched him race as well, and he's so so strong. And obviously, it's really really super competitive on the uh, on the men's side as well as the women's, but. Um, he uh yeah the the fact that the two of them just train together they have a really regimented lifestyle uh which you know is not for everyone i i don't think i could uh yeah, I, like i could be that that dedicated um and it's what it takes you know if you if you want to be on the podium every week it takes um that level of discipline that level of focus and uh and just <clears throat> it seems like everything around her life it revolves around it but you know, you know bed early every night she's like if her friends want to meet up with her it's like a six o'clock dinner or there's there's just not happening no alcohol um and it's impressive i've got to say like uh the, the two the way the two of them lives their live their life is is in is impressive um but uh, yeah, um, really, really enjoyed our chat. I, I raced that same day, and it was. Um, I, I've always been not anti obstacle course racing. Uh, I kind of brought it up in the interview, but I've uh, I found it quite gimmicky with the whole tough mudder thing a few years back, and the fact that it wasn't a race like the fun run thing. But um, but it is definitely competitive, and so I, I sort of ran in one of the age groups. I, I wasn't able to do the. I wasn't able to do the um, the elite one as I hadn't raced before, but I mean, Spartan kindly gave me a spot and said, yeah, go, go into the age group. 
And uh, and yeah, actually, uh, the running part I smashed. Obviously, I mean uh, that's what I do. I run, and uh, um, I was in I think I was in first position, getting to the like all the way through the five k. And there's some tough uh, obstacles on there, but the things like rock climbing and some of the little carry stuff and is quite easy. But at the very end, they saved the um, the monkey bars and the. Um, uh, the um, sort of swings with the um, uh, the hoop swings. What is it called again? My brain's gone crazy. But um, and I saved that one to the very end, and I just died on it. I had no grip strength at all, and uh, um, and just failed miserably. And knocking out thirty burpees, it just but like it, yeah it kills you and I was just done I was like uh, done. I think I ended up finishing like 11th or something in my age group I think it was like yeah 100 or 200 or so but um there was um yeah it, it made me realize that these are I kind of knew it before but I think obstacle course race athletes are the uh they're kind of the toughest in the world in my eyes I put them up with there with um yeah, you, you, they say they're like CrossFit athletes. I don't know if, if you've seen any of the um, Netflix documentaries about the fittest, fittest people on earth, etc. And they're all around the CrossFit competitions, which um, which in a few of those they they sort of build in mountain bike rides and a few like real endurance part of it as well as the the strength, um, uh, the the sheer strength part. Um, but yeah, I think obstacle course racers are up there with the best athletes in in the world. And mixed martial artists are also um, athletes that that truly impress me. Um, and but yeah, I, it's kind of it kind of humbled me a little bit. I, I definitely definitely do one again. I'm quite keen to do uh, to do one of the ultras, and I recommend people giving it a, giving it a whirl, see how they fare. But if I was to do it again, I'd definitely need to train upper body, train grip strength, and uh, and just um, it's really important to get the technique down on the um, on the monkey bars and stuff because it's uh, yeah it's not like one in the park they're like really sort of thick circular bars so you can't grip with your thumb you need to do it kind of monkey style with uh, that's obviously why it's called monkey bars but you know like a, like using your whole hand as a sort of like hook to swing off um there's a real technique to it and uh but yeah if you if you want to check out maggie she's uh she's on the socials as um in on facebook as as maggie maria um and on uh on instagram as maggie underscore spartan underscore pro uh check her out that she's uh always sharing inspirational story and like pretty much showing a podium every other week uh and uh and uh, her um hong kong street dogs that she's out running with and often like seen doing squats whilst ho- holding one of them uh but yeah check it out um very good well um yeah we've uh there's been a couple of races over the weekend. Um, one actually that stuck out, which actually is kind of segues really nicely, is the um, uh, there's a guy called uh, Jonathan uh, Jonathan Alban who um, who uh, he's actually an undefeated OCR world champion. He's like won every I think 14, 15, yeah, fourteen to to eighteen, and he's actually the. Um, <coughs> Uh, the he just run the ultra sky running world championships in um and he's no, sorry just run the trail world world champion in, in for 2019 uh, British guy Jonathan um 
Jonathan Alban, but Rick just brought it up to me recently. And, um, and it's interesting that he's like an amazing obstacle course athlete and then uh, like a killer trail run. I think the distances are kind of like, they're over um, marathon distance, but I don't think they're much more than 50K or just under 50K. Uh, but yeah, JonathanAlbum.com, check, check him out. He's, um, he, he's an impressive dude, but that, that sort of reinforces the, the obstacle course racing being some of the best athletes in the world. But yeah, my my uh, my personal uh, favourite sport, uh, adventure racing. There was a uh, uh, one of the big races down in Australia, the GeoQuest. Uh, I believe it is, is, in, is in Queensland somewhere. Um, and uh, and yeah, one of our um, uh, one of our up and coming guests, Burn Dornham, um, of uh, of Thunderbolt um, Thunderbolt Adventure Racing team. They came in uh, came in second. Um, she gave it a um, yeah. She gave it a good nudge, and I was just reading her race report. I think um, this guy called uh, a great guy called Chris Dixon, who's taken over running that event. And uh, yes, yeah, they put Thunderbolt AI did a put in a put in a good show. They came from behind to uh, to finish second overall. I think there was a few challenges with um, logistics around getting the getting the kayak gear around, but they are um, yeah. Adventure races are tough tough um um races to organize the logistics are um uh, both for the athletes uh, but but more so for the race directors it's uh oh god they, they, they i think it's tougher on the race directors than it is the athletes these uh these races um but yeah that's a uh, geo quest last weekend um and uh yeah so um we've got some uh we've got some great pods coming up over the uh over the next few weeks uh don't forget to uh to subscribe to us on the uh, on apple podcasts also we've got um got a lot of video content that we we record most of the podcasts and uh, and publish on on youtube so subscribe to our youtube channel we're going to start doing a few more snippets and and breaking up the content and uh, and taking out some of the really key takeaways um so we can share in bite-sized form um so check us out on there and obviously all the socials facebook instagram we want to continue to build the community get people sharing sharing stories that they see and and it'll be great to get suggestions from people um to to come on to the uh, the podcast we're always looking to sort of expand the uh expand the stories and the and the um and you know when we when we set this up it was around diversity so we want to we've had a big focus on um on ultra running and so it was good to get maggie on to talk about obstacle course racing but you know we're keen to cover cycling um and uh and uh triathlons and so um yeah any suggestions more than welcome hit us up on the uh um on endurance asia at uh um on instagram and um check out the um endurance asia group on on uh uh, on Facebook and Endurance Asia podcast page. So with that, thank you very much, and uh, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. The Endurance Asia podcast. Yo, take your red off because things ain't that bad. Maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at. Believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch. So never waste another day because life moves so fast. And a dream without pursuing, yo, they never last. Another shadow of regret I try to never cast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining cause things ain't that bad.